Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church, Texas. How the love of God is literally unstoppable. How different it is than our human love. Our human love can be tainted. Our human love can have strings attached. Our human love can have prerequisites and conditions. And God's love is perfect. And God's love wins. It always wins, period. And last week we also talked about the simple truth that God is love. That's who he is. That is the essence of who God is. I want to read you this scripture because this passage is going to give us an understanding. I mentioned last week that the verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says that love never fails. Speaking of specifically God's love. God's love never fails. Human love can fail at times, but God's love never fails. But this passage goes on to say in verse 13... And now these three remain in heaven, it's speaking of. There are three things that always remain in heaven. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And I want to take just a second, and I want to explain that to you. And I want to make sure that we're on the same page, because I'm going to show you a pattern in Scripture in a little bit of how we as the followers and the believers of Jesus Christ are to act in those three qualities, faith, hope, and love. But the reason they're so predominant and the reason that they are eternal is because those three characteristics are actually the essence of the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, we understand the scripture is very clear that God, the Father, is love. God is love. The Father God that we have, the essence of his nature is that he is a loving, gentle, kind, compassionate Father. And we also know by the word of God that Jesus is the word of God, the declared action of God into creation. Jesus is the word, and we understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So in heaven, Jesus is the embodiment of faith. Jesus is the gift of faith that was given to us for our salvation. Okay, so the expression of God, think about this, when the scripture declares that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, he released his faith into the world. When the scripture says that you're not saved by your own works, but you're saved by grace, through faith, and the faith is not your own, it's actually a gift of God given to you so that you cannot boast about how big your faith is. If you start thinking about how great your faith is, you've missed the whole point because it was actually a gift. You didn't do anything to get that faith. Now it's your job to do something with that faith and to exercise your faith. I've heard it said that faith is like a muscle and the more you use it, the more tenacious and strong and it, it can get and you can become very confident in different ways by using your faith. But that faith itself is a gift from God. So that brings us to hope. The Holy Spirit is the embodiment of the hope of God released to us in the earth. See, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance in the faith. If you've ever bought a house, 
you understand that you, when you enter into the contract, you put what's called earnest money down as a guarantee. If you don't fulfill your portion of the agreement, they can keep your earnest money because it is a guarantee of the purchase. When God paid the price with Jesus' blood, he didn't just leave us alone on the planet. Jesus is, and I know we say this in children's church, that Jesus lives in your heart. But Jesus Christ, actually Jesus, the essence of who Jesus is, is actually, according to scripture, at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And the portion of the Godhead that lives inside of you is the release of God's spirit into the earth. The Holy Spirit is the hope of Christ in you. It's the hope of faith in you. His eternal glory living inside of you. We have the hope of our salvation because God has put a down payment and he's released a portion of heaven to live inside of you so that you actually have access to heaven on earth. You actually have access to the throne room of heaven where God is on the throne and Jesus is sitting next to him interceding for you. You have 24-7 access Backstage pass, straight into the throne room of God. Faith, hope, and love remain. The greatest of these is love. Can I tell you that God is love, and love does. Love does. If, if love doesn't do, is it actually love at all? I've heard it said, unexpressed love is not love. We've all been in a situation where something needed to be done and maybe we refrained from doing it. Have you ever been in a situation where something unjust was happening and no one was doing anything about it? And you're watching a situation unfold that's wrong before your eyes. And if you have love, love does. I remember a time, and I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I could tell you uh, probably a half a dozen stories from my upbringing and such uh, in my young adult life and um, different phases where I witnessed something unjust and I had to make a decision what I was going to do about it. There was a time that I went to, this is, was my senior year right before I graduated from high school uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma where I grew up, there was a, an event every spring called Mayfest. And it should have been called Drunk Fest, but it was called Mayfest, and it was a music and art festival, and people were out there just having a good time and being crazy, and as a senior in high school, uh, I went to this with a couple carloads of friends in one of the carloads. Uh, I was with uh, the girlfriend I had at the time who was uh, massively inferior to the wife that I have now, um, but I was with this girlfriend at the time and a, few, and, a, and a handful of other friends and we're at this little event and we're watching a, a reggae band and if you don't know I love reggae music it is the only music that I can sing and sound good I can rock some Bob Marley let me tell you because because he has many flaws in his vocal skills and that's why I can try to keep up with a little reggae but I'm enjoying the show and all of a sudden I realize um, and I was actually in a season of my life that I had been, I had really rededicated my life and I was living a very, a, a great path, and, 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 but my friends that we were with were not. And, and this certain friend 
It wasn't my friend. He was my girlfriend's best friend's boyfriend. Decided that he would get obliterated in public, and then he became very violent. I don't know how the fight started, but he became extremely violent and verbally abusive with his girlfriend right in front of us as a group of friends, and it was horrific, it was disturbing, it was wrong on every single level, and, and he, he was screaming and yelling and being physical, and it was absolutely atrocious to me. And I'm, um, I know I'm on a stage, so I look pretty intimidating up here, very, but in person, the number one thing that I hear when I meet someone that's never met me, they've only seen me on a stage, is, oh, you're so much shorter than I thought. And I always say, well, thank you. That's such a nice thing to say to a guy who grew up being short. It really ministers to my spirit. But anyway, in this situation, I'm the little guy with a whole bunch of big guys watching something happen that shouldn't be happening. And I'm looking at all the big guys going, are you going to do something or not? And one of the big guys was the girl's big brother. And he's watching his sister be physically and verbally mistreated in public. And enough was enough. And you may not appreciate a pastor who enjoys violence, but in certain situations it's appropriate. It's definitely all through your Bible. <laughs> and so I walked up to this gentleman, and I'm sure I said something very spiritual. Actually, I know exactly what I said, and I'm not going to tell you. But I told him that he needed to sit down, and he needed to be quiet. And he turned his violence toward me, which was actually kind of what I was hoping for. And, and when he did, he began to attack me. And when he attacked me, I felt the green light of the Holy Spirit to lay hands on him swiftly and, 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 and very severely. And it was one of those wonderful moments where I ministered to him in a very special way. Um, I hit him twice. I only needed to hit him once. And... Um, and he was literally just out on his feet, and, and, and he literally looked at me and, like, embraced me, and he's like, what happened? What, who, hit, who hit me? What happened? He had no, he literally had no idea where he was, and, and I'm like, I hit you. I happened. Now sit down and whatever, and, and, and the situation got resolved, but what I didn't think through and consider was that we had ridden to Mayfest together. I had to drive home with this guy in my car. So, I don't know why I'm telling you the story. I'm just telling you that sometimes love does, but love doesn't always think it through sometimes when it's human. But God always thinks through what needs to happen. And our job as the followers of Jesus Christ is to get his perspective and find out what we must do in order to be in alignment with what he wants to see happen in the earth. We've all been in situations where something needed to happen, and maybe we waited. And honestly, sometimes love waits for the right moment. But at the right moment, love, number one, always believes. Love always speaks, and love always acts at the right moment in the right way. And it's our job to make sure that we are discerning the moment and recognizing how our love needs to act. I want to talk to you about activists 
love today. We live in a culture. I remember a time when activists um, were focused on whales and salamanders and hugging trees and things of that nature. And, and it was um, a little cuter than, than it is right now. Activism today has turned massively angry, massively violent. Uh, there are really good causes that people are being active for. And honestly, guys, there is such a thing as righteous anger. But the Bible is very clear that in our anger, we are to sin not. And it's important that we recognize a time for activism in a time as the church of Jesus Christ. Guys, if we are the church of Jesus Christ and we're not active, do we actually love? Because love does. Love believes, love speaks, love acts. As the church of Jesus Christ, we need to learn how to become active and intentional at the right time, in the right way, for the right causes. And if we're not, then there's a chance that we're talking about love, but it's empty. It's empty if we don't do it in the right way, at the right time, for the right reason. I want to take you to a couple of stories today. Um, and in these stories, you're going to see the expression of what I have described. Both of these stories were at a time where there was injustice going on. These are stories from the Bible. Um, the first story I want to talk to you about was actually a story that centered around the son of King Saul. His name was Jonathan. And it was a time when Israel as a nation was subjugated to the Philistines and they were in a position where literally they had been ruled over and they were being forced to pay tribute to. The Philistines were stealing their crops. Uh, they were raiding them on a regular basis. And Israel was in a position where they were being dominated and mistreated, so much so that there were no blacksmiths allowed in all of Israel, and they had actually confiscated the weapons. There were only two swords in the entire army of Saul. King Saul had one, and his son Jonathan had one. Everyone else in the army had farm equipment. They had sickles and shovels and, and, and little pitchforks and whatever, and they're going to war against fortified army with farm equipment because they've been so subjugated. And that type of thing has happened throughout history in different places. That's why in Texas we're so proud of our Second Amendment. We don't want to see that happen again. So we have in this situation Jonathan, who's watching a bad situation go down politically. And because of what he sees, he's moved with his love for his nation, his love for his people, and his love for God to take action. So it says in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. He's focusing on the lack of covenant that they have with God. We have a covenant with God. We are circumcised. They do not have a covenant with God. They are uncircumcised. Therefore, we have the advantage when it comes to God being on our side. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all of, and his armor bearer responds to him, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. And Jonathan said, come on. 
then we'll cross over to them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait here until we come up to you, we'll stay where we are and we'll not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. And so they revealed themselves to the Philistines, and the Philistines, when they saw them coming out of what they thought were the cracks in the holes where they were, where they were hiding, they said, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Well, 101 of street fighting is some people are talkers and some people are hitters. I would be in the hitter class. Thank you. And, and, and I have had, I, all it took for me was to take one police self-defense course and the policeman told all of us in the training class that 99% of the time, whoever gets hit first loses. And I said, that will never be me. Just simple statistics. I'm a one percenter, right? I'm, I'm gonna, no, I'm sorry, I'm a 99 percenter. I'm gonna be on that side of it. I'm not gonna be on the other side of it. So in this situation, Jonathan had a hope-filled plan. I want you to see this. Because in this expression of active love, we see the faith of Jonathan, him saying, let's go over there. There's, there, it's nothing to God to deliver us. They're uncircumcised. We have a covenant with God. God can deliver us, whether it's by little or by few. He's expressing his faith in who God is. And then he says, here's the plan. Let's throw this hope-filled plan out there and let's see what God shows to us. And then the plan begins to manifest. They say, come on up here, we'll teach you a lesson. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. So this is the expression of the action of love that Jonathan climbs up. He has a sword. His armor bearer has the shield. He's carrying whatever else armor that he has. And Jonathan goes, and they're climbing up. Now, you understand, whoever holds the high ground has the advantage. But Jonathan recognized these are talkers, not fighters. And we're about to take it to them. And it says in the span of about a half of an acre that Jonathan and his armor bearer slayed 20 men. He would strike them with the sword. His armor bearer would come behind and finish them off with the shield or whatever piece of armor that he had. And there was such a ruckus that happened at that moment that Saul called for the priest that was with him to check the ephod as how they would define or divine, pardon me, what was going on in the spirit. And they noticed that Jonathan was gone. And as they looked toward the Philistine army, this one skirmish that Jonathan stepped out in faith, hope, and love to have active love for the political future of his nation and for his love for the God that he served and followed turned into a complete uh, and utter tumult inside of the Philistine camp. And that day, literally, the army of Israel with their pitchforks and shovels and hoes and whatever other kind of farm equipment that they had was able to defeat uh, the Philistine army that specific day. And it all started with someone deciding that they would love enough to do something. The second story is the story that all of us know. It's the story of David and Goliath. David shows up at the battle. Uh, this is, uh, we don't know the exact time frame, but the Philistines have re-established themselves, and now they have a giant with them. His name was Goliath. The scripture says he was over nine foot tall. His armor that he wore was between 150 and 200 pounds of armor. Can you imagine going into battle with 200 pounds of armor on? 
His spearhead, the tip of his spearhead, weighed more than the head of a sledgehammer. This was a massive dude. And he was so terrifying that all of the army of Israel was, was afraid in his presence and no one would do anything. David shows up at the battle, he's witnessing it, and he hears somebody say, whoever kills that dude gets riches, zero taxes, and gets to marry the king's fine daughter. And David, as a 17-year-old, said, what you talking about, Willis? What did you just say? What did, some of you all don't even know. Some of you kids are so young, you don't even know about what you're talking about, Willis. You need to look that up. You need to get some culture in you. He said, what did you say? What, what happens to the guy that kills this dude? Well, his big brother, Eliab, was there and saw him David had come to bring provisions to his brothers and to their commanders from his father, Jesse. Cheeses and wines and nuts and berries and whatever. He's bringing them food. He just happens to show up, start asking some questions because he sees that something is obviously wrong. And his brother begins to lash out at him and attack him verbally, insult him verbally. David had a very rough home life. Theologians believe, and specifically Jewish scholars believe, that there was a conflict inside of David's uh, household and that David's uh, mother and father had become estranged and David's father was actually a priest in that area. Jesse was a priest in Bethlehem and that he had become estranged and literally thought that his wife had had an affair and David was the product, but he wasn't the product, but he was treated as such, and that's why he was cast out of the family, was forced to live with the sheeps in the field, uh, was not even invited to the party whenever Samuel showed up to anoint one of Jesse's kings, and he was completely cast aside, mistreated, his father despised him, all of his brothers despised him, and David lived, that's why in the Psalms he says that he was despised by his own family, is because they thought that there had been infidelity when there wasn't. And David was harshly mistreated by his own family. So David shows up and his brother, his big brother, a big brother's job is to protect, to teach, to train, to cover. And he shows up and his big brother lashes out at him and humiliates him in front of everyone. And David says, is there not a cause? That's the phrase he used. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? Is there not something to be active about going on right now? And he turns back and he repeats his questions. So tell me one more time, what happens to the dude that kills this uncircumcised sucker? They keep going back to this covenant that they have with the creator of the universe. His questions make it to the king. The king brings him before him. King Saul says, look, you're just a boy. David says, no, 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 let me tell you something. You don't have to worry about anything, king. I'll go fight this sucker, and I'll kill him. I killed a lion, I killed a bear, and I'll kill this uncircumcised dude too. He said, when I was in the field, a bear came, and I chased after it with my sling and with my rod. When, it says, when, when David wrote the, the 23rd Psalm, about the good shepherd, he was describing his experience as a shepherd connected to this experience of walking into this valley of the shadow of death where he would fear no evil. 
that story, that psalm is a connection into his recognizing that the Lord is his shepherd. He shall not want his rod and his staff. They guide me. This whole thing, the shepherd's rod, he had a rod and he had a staff. The staff was the crook that we see that he would guide and lead and rescue the sheep with. The rod of the shepherd looked like a, 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 like a stick with a big mace ball on the end of it. When it says that David chased after the lion, grabbed it by the beard, and struck it, there's one translation of the Bible that says that he clubbed it to death. He didn't punch a lion in the nose with his bare hand. He had a rod and he had a staff. The staff was to guide the sheep, the rod was to defend. When you have a good shepherd, guys, you don't just have a heavenly father that's, 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 that's kind and wonderful and nurturing and everything, he's got a club too. But he doesn't use the club on you. He uses it on the enemy. And David said, I'm not afraid. I've killed a lion with my bare hands. I've killed a bear with my bare hands and my staff and my rod. And I'll take this sucker down too. And so the king says, go on with your bad self. That's what he said in my translation. And so David goes out there. And when Goliath sees him, he says, what am I, a dog? You're going to send a kid out here, a little boy with a stick? He goes, come on, boy, I'm going to feed you to the birds today. I'm going to take your head off of your shoulders. And David stands up and says, you know what? You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of the armies of Israel. And today, I will strike you down and take off your head and feed your body to the birds. We know the rest of the story. David ran at that giant. He had a smooth stone. He was an expert. This was not a little boy. This was an expert hunter. This was a young man who had forged a pattern, a skill set with a rock and a sling. He was an expert. It says in scripture that of the tribe of Benjamin, there were 700 left-handed warriors that were so adept, so accurate with a sling and a rock that they could hit, they could take, take the, take a, a whatever, a little petal off a flower from 100 yards away, something crazy. These guys were crazy accurate. David knew, give me one shot, Jesus, I won't miss. I know what I'm doing here. And he buried that rock right in the center. How many hundreds of feet per second was that rock moving? I don't know. But David's rock found its purchase and Goliath landed face down. And you can imagine the silence across that valley of the shadow of death. They watched in awe as David struggled to pick up the sword of a giant. Heave it over his head. I imagine he had to catch his balance and come back toward him, sever his head, reach down and pick up the head of Goliath and his sword, and the army of Israel goes completely bonkers and rushes the Philistine army and completely annihilates them. And it says that David walked back to meet the king. Can you imagine a 17-year-old carrying the severed head to give it to King Saul? Faith, hope, and love. David had the hope of a princess bride. He had the hope of no taxes. Come on, I've got the hope of no taxes in Jesus. <laughs> he had the hope of great income. But he had the faith in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And he had a cause 
for his nation and for the political future. And he had a cause for the cause of the people of God. And I'm telling you, there's a righteous cause that we as the people of God need to find. And it's connected to the name of Jesus Christ. My question for you today is simply this. What is your cause? Do you have a cause? Do you have something that you're willing to lay your life down for? Is it your family? Is it your church? Come on. My family and my church are part of my cause. But the greater cause is the actual name of Jesus Christ. The reputation of Jesus Christ. The cause of Jesus Christ in the earth. And we as the people of God need to become very active with our love. To exercise the authority of Jesus Christ in the earth. The people of God cannot be silent. Listen, it's not up for me and to me to define your personal cause. My personal cause, the reason Oaks Church exists, is because my personal cause is to inspire and elevate and train and raise up and mobilize and launch and send out a body of people that will do the work of Jesus Christ, the cause of Jesus Christ in their lives. That's why I exist. And your cause may be connected to my cause. I pray it is. But you have your own. See, there's a place, guys, in your life. You have to find the place in your life where faith, hope, and love intersect. If you can find the place where the essence of who God is in you intersects, you'll find the place of passion. You'll find the place of fire. You'll find the place where you stand up and you say, you know what? This isn't right. And as for me, I'm not allowing this to happen in my presence. We've got to be people that will be more than just those that talk about love. We've got to be people that put our love into action. I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to take this message and to pray and to ask the Holy Spirit to find that intersection point. Father, where does my faith, my hope, and my love intersect? Show me my place of passion. Show me the place where your very essence burns bright and comes alive inside of my heart. I want to connect in to the very essence of who you are and walk in the fullness of your love. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, would you this week, would you begin to ignite inside of our hearts as the people of God the things that you are stirring for our passion, the causes that you're calling us to, Father, let your people be active with their love. Let them be active with your love flowing through them. Father, let their faith and their hope arise and connect into your divine love in their lives. In Jesus' name. God, each of us individually, we have a cross to bear. We have a road to walk. We have enemies to fight. And we have great things to accomplish. Father, help us. Help us. Help us. Help us. In Jesus' name. To identify that cause. And to walk in your power and authority. In the name of Jesus. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. 
On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.